And Lord, we give you uh, this message. Now, I want to give you this message. I pray that you give me the wisdom, the heart, the clarity that I need. And I pray, Lord, that you would, would open our hearts and minds to the amazing truth of creation. So move upon us now, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're doing a new series uh, called The Story of God. And uh, what we're covering is God's purposes from eternity past to creation, Old Testament, New Testament, eternity future, God's purpose. And last week, we looked at eternity past. And we saw that as far back as we can conceive, with no beginning, God has always been. God's always been. From eternity past, God was, is all that was. And we saw that from eternity past, God has always been full of joy in beholding his glory. Remember, his glory, woe, in the fellowship of the Trinity. So from eternity past, God's been full of joy. No needs, full, burning, passionate, rejoicing joy from eternity past. And then we ask the question, well, if God was full of joy with no needs, why did he create What we saw last week was that God created in order to display, to go public with his glory so that he could share with created people, with us, he could share with us the joy that he has in beholding his glory so that we could see his glory and be swept up in it and captured by it and filled and satisfied in it. So that's why God created. And this morning, I want us to dig deeper, look more closely at creation at the truth that God created everything that is. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's like the first go-to verse for creation. If you need a Bible, I'd like you all to be able to look at some of these verses. So raise your hand, don't be bashful. We'd like you all to have a Bible. Genesis 1 is on page 1, okay? And the Bibles are passing out. I didn't even need to look that one up. But I did, just to be sure. It's page 1, okay. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Look at what the Holy Spirit had Moses write at the very first words of of his Pentateuch and then of the whole Bible. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Which means that everything that is has its beginning in God. God God created, Genesis 1.1, and that's a unique, semi-rare Hebrew word, the word bara, and it's only used with God as the subject, only God baras things, creates things, and what that word means is supernatural creation of something out of nothing, okay? And what God created, supernaturally, out of nothing, is the heavens and the earth, which is everything. So Genesis 1.1, right there, the, one of the most rock-your-world verses in the Scripture. Everything that exists was supernaturally created out of nothing by God. Which might raise a question in your minds, depending on your educational background, what you've seen on Nova or whatever. Can thinking, educated people believe that? Fair question. 
Let me just raise a couple follow-up questions on that and, and, uh, and see if I can maybe help some of you at least have some perspectives. I've, I've made a list of books on the back of the, sec- the back side of your notes there if you want to follow up, and this is just a smattering. These will help you get started. But let me just give you a couple of, of questions to deal with. One question is, doesn't, doesn't evolution disprove creation? Doesn't evolution disprove it? And first of all, uh, microevolution is not the issue. That is, evolution within species, right? We all know that that happens. In fact, we use that. We've, we bred dachshunds. I looked it up on Wikipedia so that we could send little tiny long dogs down into badger holes and get the badgers, right? <laughs> Poor badgers, all right? Good for the dachshunds. We bred the chihuahuas. I really don't know why. Um, <laughs> Because Taco Bell needed a commercial, I suppose. And, and then we re- bred uh, pugs, you know, so none of us would need to feel attractive, whatever. The, the list just goes on and on, okay? So microevolution within species is not the problem. We all know that it happens. The question is macroevolution between species. That is, is there evidence that we, human beings, evolved from primates gorillas, monkeys, who evolved from some more primitive being, who evolved, go all the, back, all the way back to some primordial pond. Is there evidence that that took place? Let me give you two quotes. First one by Stephen Stanley, uh, who got his PhD from Yale, 1960s, taught geology for years at John Hopkins University, and he believes in evolution, okay? He's a proponent of evolution, Uh, By the way, he's also a paleontologist, which means he studies fossils. And listen to what he said. He says, The fossil record does not convincingly document a single transition from one species to another. Okay? So that's an evolutionist. He believes in evolution. Um, We'll ask why in a second. Here's another quote from Philip Johnson, who's not an evolution guy used to be professor of law at Berkeley, wrote a really helpful book called Darwin on Trial, which I would recommend you read. And here's his summation of the evidence. He says, if evolution means the gradual change of one kind of organism into another, species to species, the outstanding characteristic of the fossil record is the absence of evidence for evolution. Can you might just ask, well, then why would people believe evolution? It's so commonly taught as fact, right? And let me just throw this out there. This may not explain every case, but I think one of the reasons uh, many people believe evolution is that many people come to science with assumptions of what's called naturalism, that there is no supernatural force at work. We've got to explain everything naturally. It's not fair to bring in supernatural explanations. They, they assume that from the get-go. Now, if that's true... What would you never think has caused what is? Creation. You've you've assumed that out of the equation. So if you take God out of the equation, then, yeah, I think evolution is probably your next best bet. Right? There's just not a lot of evidence for it, but like, what else are you going to use to explain it? If there's no God, okay, so I think that's where people go to because many scientists assume naturalism. They assume a closed system where God does not supernaturally intervene, and evolution is the best thing they got going. Uh, natural selection, the whole Darwinian thing. So I do not think evolution disproves supernatural creation. Another question. Doesn't the age of the earth uh, disprove supernatural creation, the biblical account of creation? And I think the answer to that is no. Here's a couple of reasons. One is that the way that scientists measure 
the age of the earth, it's not like they've got, like, we got a yardstick, you've got 36 inches, and I can tell, is this 36 inches? No. I mean, the yardstick, clear, inches, no. Measuring the age of rocks is not quite that simple. Okay, there's, there's methods of measurements that scientists use that are based on assumptions, which have lots of questionable aspects to them. So just keep that in mind. It's not as clear-cut at all as you might think or as you maybe have heard that it is. Another reason that the age of the earth doesn't disprove supernatural creation is because creation can give the appearance of age. Let me explain it like this. Uh, take, maybe this will be really clear. Remember in John chapter 2, Jesus turned 180 gallons of water into the best wine that they'd had at the wedding. Now, if right at that point, a scientist had taken a sampling of that wine and tested it to find out how old this was, what would he have said? How old do you age wine? Years. years. He would say, three, four years. Okay? He could, he could prove this is three to four years old. He could prove that. You'd say, oh, that, it, exactly. Was it three to four years old? No. Jesus created that. And so there's aspects of creation that can have the appearance of age, but the reason is because God created them. Does that make sense? Okay. Another reason. The Bible doesn't say how old the earth is. It just doesn't ever say that. Um, Bible scholars differ on whether the seven days in Genesis 1 are 24-hour days or longer periods of time. You can read one of the books in, in, the, in the notes in your back there. You can check that out. The days certainly could have been seven 24-hour day periods. Uh, absolutely. But see, even if they are, that doesn't require a young earth. And here's why. Uh, we don't know how long Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 is. Look at Genesis 1, 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. How long did that go on? We don't know. The Holy Spirit didn't have Moses tell us how long that went on. So, the way the scientists measure the age of the earth, some assumptions there, you want to check them out, may or may not be true. Creation gives the appearance of age. The Bible doesn't say how old the earth is. All of that draws me to conclude that the age of the earth doesn't even come close to raising a problem with supernatural biblical creation. One other question under this issue of, you know, can thinking people really buy the biblical picture? What about the two different descriptions of creation in Genesis 1 and 2? I mean, you read Genesis 1 and 2, and if you read them carefully, which I hope you all will, maybe this afternoon, read them, compare, you'll find that there are two accounts of creation. One starts in Genesis 1-1, goes through Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. There's one account. It's finished there. Then chapter 2, verse 4, you read about a second description of creation. Why? Some people say, well, this is contradictory. But if you look closely, read carefully, Genesis 1-1 through 2-3 covers all of creation, everything created from kind of a big macro perspective, Genesis 2, 4 and following homes in with a lot more specifics on God's creation of Adam and then God's bringing Adam, Eve, and the creation of the Garden of Eden. So it, it goes into more detail into a part of what was covered in the first 
account of creation. Genesis chapter 1 through 2 verse 3. So the two accounts are different, not contradictory, complementary, and I would encourage you to study them and to read them carefully. Okay, so with that in mind, go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. I have no problem believing this. I think thinking, educated people can totally believe this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we saw last week that the reason God did this was to display his glory because he wants to share with you and me the joy that he has had in beholding his glory. That, that's why he created. So let's, let's raise the question, if, if he created to display his glory, how does creation display his glory? What do we see of his glory? I thought of six things. There's, there's many others. Let me just share with you these six things that just blew me away. First, creation displays, I think in your notes I put down um, supremacy. Creation displays his supremacy. Then I thought maybe transcendence. And I thought of immensity. I was talking to Jan. She said, well, just, just, you know, just tell them what you're trying to say. The, the, the problem is, um, let's we'll go with immensity, but you know, size is a metaphorical thing for God, God's spirit. So think about transcendent, supremacy, immensity. Here's my point. Here's a picture of the Milky Way. Okay, can you see that? Milky Way. Now, this is not a photograph uh, because we have not gone far enough to be able to click and take a picture of that. This is scientists' best rendition of what our galaxy Looks like. We talked last week that scientists tell us that the Milky Way is 100,000 light years um, in diameter, right? 100,000 light years. And that's just like a number in words. But a light year, one light year, is, remember last week, 6 trillion miles, which we said was 240 million trips around the Earth. Okay, one, two, Three, and that's you just you're just hauling, man. Four, okay, and 240 million of those is one light year, and this Milky Way is 100,000 light years. Okay, are you feeling this? 100,000 light years, Milky Way. So the question is, how? Oh, don't leave, I almost forgot. Scientists tell us that there's at least 50 million galaxies like this. In the universe, 50 million, 100,000, 6 trillion mile light year wide galaxies. So here's my question. How big, how immense, how awesome is a God who speaks a word and there it all is, just like that? Now, you might think, well, that's a lot of wasted real estate, real estate because, I mean, if, if God's a focus, say, we can't even see, I mean, like, where's the earth in here? Well, you can't even see the sun, but it's, it's right there, okay? So if God's focus is on this little section here, why all the wasted space and 50 million others of them? And we saw last week, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The reason is so that pastors like me could have the fun of preaching how big God is, right? So we're just like right in sync with this purpose. So I can tell you about 50 million Milky Ways, 100,000 light years, and that God created it all. So just, it just makes you want to fall on your face before God, doesn't it? I mean, this is much bigger than you think it is. 
He is much bigger than you think it is. This is big, church. This is really, really big, what we're dealing with here. I mean, some night, just go outside and look up at the stars and realize, I mean, the amount of stars you can see is like, okay, all right? And then think, 100,000 light years, 50 million of them. And just, just let it wash over you and let it make you worship God. Oh, if we could see how big and immense and transcendent and supreme God is. He displayed his glory through creation. So that's one aspect. Supremacy, transcendence, immensity. Second, creation displays God's authority. So think about it. At one moment, there's nothing but God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, nothing else, full of joy in the fellowship of the Trinity. Nothing but God. And then God speaks. Let there be. 50 million galaxies just like that. Speaks the word. Let there be. His word creates the universe. His word. You need to lift a finger. Not even a pinky. Let there be. And there was. Just like that. Now, can you tremble joyfully before the authority in a being like that? Okay, so think of something you're worried about right now. All right? You got one, Dale? Okay, good. I knew you. All right, I do too. I got a couple. Okay, think of a burden. Maybe it's something about your health or your finances. Uh, something about family member, husband, wife, kids, parents, employment, job. So think about something you're worried about right now. And If God has authority to create 50 million galaxies with a word, do you think he can take care of that burden? That's my battle, is I keep letting the problem become the central focus of my vision. And then God's little God out here, big problem I'm facing, right? Got to switch the places. Big God, little problem. He's the authoritative one. Maybe some of you are having a hard time submitting to God's authority in some area of your life. Let's switch gears a little bit, take a different application. Are you having trouble submitting to God's authority, God's plan in some area of your life? Okay. Do you really want to resist him? Doesn't it make sense that he does have rightful authority over you, over me? Creation displays God's authority. Third, creation displays God's goodness. The first creation account, Genesis 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 3 Moses, I love what he does. He has a recurring theme of God's goodness. As God takes the earth, as it's described in verse 2, without form and void and dark, and step by step, good, 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 it gets better and better until it's very good, perfectly good. Look at how he does this. Verse 3, God creates the light. Verse 4, the light was good. Verse 9, God made dry land separate from the water. Verse 10, God saw that it was good. Verse 11, God creates plants and fruit trees. Verse 12, God saw that it was good. Verse 17, God appoints sun, moon, stars to separate the light from the darkness. Then verse 18, God saw that it was good. Verse 24, God brings forth animals. Verse 25, God saw that they were good. 
Verse 26, God creates man in his image as male and female. Then verse 31, God saw that it all, man on the scene, man and woman, male and female, very good. So creation displays God's goodness. I mean, before Adam and Eve sinned, before the curse, before sin came into the world, the world, the earth, was an absolute paradise displaying God's just sheer goodness, perfect goodness, awesome goodness, the goodness of God. Okay, so we've seen creation displays God's immensity. It displays God's authority. It displays God's goodness. Fourth, it displays God's wisdom. I mean, you could think about how plants work, Venus flytraps and photosynthesis. And you can think about animals. There's a fish that can spit a spider out of a web so it can get dinner, right? I mean, it's all, but think about your body. I mean, think about God's creation. He created your body. Like, for example, you have an automatic um, food digesting system in you. This is an amazing thing. You can go eat lunch at Armadillo Willie's this afternoon and then go home and watch football or take a nap. And without even thinking about it, you don't need to Without even thinking about it, right, that food's going to become energy and bones and skin and nerves and organs and cells while you're napping. I mean, think if you had to administrate that whole thing. We'd all be dead, okay? Your body has an automatic healing system. You get a paper cut, put a Band-Aid on it, four days later take it off. Huh, where'd that go? Did you need to send the, the, the platelets and the clotlets there to start to kind of rebuild the fiber system and get all that skin put back together again? No. Your body's just, red alert, red alert, ah, ah, ah. okay, send stuff, okay, and you're just, you're watching TV, okay? But, but get this. Can we put the picture of the eye? This is awesome. Now look at this next picture. This is just as awesome. Let me read you what happens right now as, you're, as, as light's hitting your eye. This is amazing. God made all this. This is from Darwin's Black Box, and I, I kind of paraphrased it to make it, I took out all the, all the scientific words, I didn't know what they meant, so here's up. But I, I, I think I got the gist of it. Okay, you scientists read this and let me know, okay? When light first strikes a cell in the retina, retina is the back part of the eye, when light first strikes a cell in the retina, a photon in that cell interacts with a molecule which changes shape. The change in shape of this molecule forces a change in the shape of a protein, which then is able to stick to another protein. This changes the second protein, so it's able to reduce the number of CGMP molecules in the retinal cell. When the amount of CGMP is reduced... That causes the number of positively charged sodium ions to be reduced. This causes an imbalance of charge across the cell membrane that finally causes a current to be transmitted down the optic nerve to the brain. The result, when interpreted by the brain, is vision. Okay, now, think about this. During the time I just read that, okay, as you were just listening, that happened inside your eyeball millions of times. God created that. You've got two of them. It's an amazing thing. So can you see the wisdom of God in creation? I mean, look at what you have, what you can do. Fifth, creation displays God's nearness. Let's go back to the Milky Way picture. 
Okay? So, so think again about the Milky Way. 100,000 light years wide. There's at least 50 million of them. So think about how just immense God is. Just ponder that. Immense. 50 million, 100,000 light year Milky Ways. But then God took the earth, okay? And he made the earth a paradise. And where did that happen? Can't even see it. Right there, one of these 50 million galaxies, and right there somewhere. It's this little, tiny, little, tiny earth. God made this little, tiny, tiny earth. And then, and then on this little, tiny earth, God made a little, tiny man. Okay? Adam. There's Adam. He made him. Right there. And God talked with this little, tiny man. Talked with him. God talked with little tiny Adam and God saw that Adam was alone and God made a little tiny wife, okay? All right. And then get this, okay? The God who made 50 million of these walked with little tiny Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, we read. They could know God. This massive, immense God. And now, after the fall, because of Jesus, you can know him and walk with him and talk with him too. The nearness of God. Creation shows the immensity of God. And then that God would create man and talk with him and walk with him and bring him a wife. Sixth, finally. Creation displays God's mercy. Mercy before the fall. Yes, here's why I say that. At one moment, Adam and Eve did not exist. Okay? Then, just like, just like that, they were there. Adam and Eve were there. With life that would never end. Okay? With astonishing bodies. With each other. Husband, wife, with all their physical needs met in a perfect paradise of existence forever. And best of all, that they can know this immense, awesome, glorious God, have their hearts completely satisfied in knowing Him. At one moment, Adam and Eve didn't exist. Next moment, there they are with all of this. What did they do to deserve that? How did they get that? Anyone? Nothing. God gave them this infinitely valuable gift. I mean, infinitely valuable gift. Just gave it to them. To display his glory. Look at what kind of a God is. A God who's so full of joy... From eternity past, fellowship of the Trinity, whoa, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that he creates in order to display his glory, and the highest display of his glory is just to do lavish, over-the-top good for undeserving people, like Adam and Eve, and like you and me. But this is the God who is. Aren't you thankful? I mean, think about God loves to just pour out over-the-top good for people. Undeserving people? Yes. Unworthy people, perfect. 
Sinful people who need to be forgiven, even better, okay? Because it all displays the glory of his mercy. So do you see his mercy in just, there's Adam and Eve. How did they get to be born? How did they get to be alive? God just gave it to them. So creation displays God's glory. Immensity, authority, goodness, wisdom, nearness, and grace. So, how should we respond to this? I mean, I just want you to be blown away by who God is. Church, we, we can trust him for everything. You can trust him. The God who is loves to do good for needy people. He loves that. He's an overflowing fountain, like I said last week, of goodness. I mean, just think about his power. Think about his authority. Think about his wisdom, his goodness, 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 his mercy. You can trust him. Trust him. You're not trusting him enough. Trust him some more. You're still not trusting him enough. Trust him for everything. Trust him. He is in control. He loves you. He's wise. He's good. He's powerful. You can trust him. And I I hope you can see from this that it's true. I mean, what greater joy could there possibly be than beholding the glory of a being like that and sharing in the joy that he has in beholding his glory? What greater joy could there be? I mean, it's clear, isn't it? Nothing else compares with the joy that you could have in beholding God. I mean, how, how could any create a little tiny thing, okay? How could any little created thing compare with the joy that you have in worshiping and exalting and adoring this God who is immense and full of authority and goodness and wisdom and nearness and grace? Now, let me, let me segue into helping you focus your worship this morning in a particular way. I want us to focus now on Jesus and creation and then move to the cross and talking about communion. Now, you might think, well, how do you get from creation to Jesus? And let me show you how. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. This is page 983 in the Bibles we passed out. Colossians 1, 15 through 16. Let's move from creation to Jesus to worship in communion and the cross. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Here's what Paul writes. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of, that means preeminent over all creation. Jesus is preeminent over all creation. For, here's why, by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So all things were created by Jesus, all things through him and for him. Let me explain. Each member of the Trinity was involved in creation. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit 
decided that Jesus would be the visible image of the invisible God. It would be through Jesus that the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit would be publicly displayed through Jesus. That's why we love to talk about Jesus, because Jesus now, after his coming, life, death, resurrection, in this time of period of history, Jesus is where you will most blazingly see the glory of God. It's through Jesus. He's the image. You want to see God's glory? Look at Jesus. Whoa! That's how you'll see it, okay? And so Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so that the glory of the Trinity would be publicly displayed through Jesus. And so Paul focuses on Jesus here, and he says, by him, Jesus, all things were created. So that we, he wants us to think, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ spoke into being 50 million, 100,000 light years galaxies. He spoke it, there they were. Jesus Christ did that. And then he stooped down, 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 down to earth. And he made Adam. And he made Eve. And Jesus Christ made you. And he made me. And as you know, the story unfolds. We'll get into it next week. Adam and Eve and you and me, we've all rebelled against God. We knew from creation God's immensity and authority, his goodness and his wisdom, his nearness and his mercy. We said, no, we've all turned away from him. And because of that, we face eternal punishment because God is glorious in his justice as well. He loves mercy, prefers mercy, but if it has to be justice, he will. So we all face his judgment. But like I said last week, this was no surprise to God. He purposefully planned everything that happens because his glory would be most powerfully displayed through Jesus taking care of our sin problem. So what did Jesus do? Instead of God eradicating mankind, what happened? 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who spoke into being 50 million, 100,000 year wide galaxies, was born as a baby. Your creator was born as a baby. (sighs) That's what Christmas is all about. Lying in the manger is the creator of the universe. All things were created by him. And if that isn't enough, Jesus, who spoke 50 million, 100,000 light-year galaxies into existence, let his creation beat him and scourge him and nail him to a cross. Your creator was hanging on the cross. The creator of the universe was hanging on the cross. Why? To display the glory of his mercy as he's purchasing forgiveness and freedom from sin's power for those he would save. So creation moves us as Paul focuses on Jesus the creator, and as we look at the cross as the display of God's glory, which is the purpose of all of creation. So I want to to call us to worship Jesus this morning. Let's worship the creator who was born as a baby, the creator who hung on a cross 
so that you could be forgiven for your sin, so that you could be freed from the power of sin, so that you could be brought back, restored into the joy that you were created for of sharing God's joy in his own glory. Let's have the band come up. And I just want to encourage you to worship Jesus Christ now with communion. Repent of any... I mean, are there areas where you're rebelling against his authority? Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you. He will forgive you. He will change you. The cross forgives sin. The cross breaks the power of sin. Everything comes to us through the cross. So repent of any sin that you haven't dealt with and trust to him the things that are burdens to you and worries. An act of worship is to say, here's this burden. I lay it at your feet. Powerful. That's an act of worship. Okay? Let the Lord bring you a fresh sense of forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future, which he purchased through the cross. Just receive forgiveness. Walk again. Get a fresh sense of being clothed in his perfect righteousness. By faith alone, when you trust Jesus, the gift of righteousness is given to you. Perfect righteousness imputed to you. You are completely accepted by God in spite of your sinfulness because of what Jesus has done. So receive that. Love him, adore him, exalt him, celebrate him, rejoice in him, worship him. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you'd bring your power upon us now. We need your help even to worship, and you've purchased that help through the cross. So give it to us now, I pray. So we can see you, Jesus, the image, the image of the invisible God. You, Jesus, Father, Son, Spirit, you chose to have your glory shining most brilliantly through Jesus in the manger, on the cross, raised from the dead. Help us to see. Help us to worship. Bring us to fresh new dimensions of repentance, of trust, of submission, of surrender, of forgiveness, of joy, of celebration. Bring this to us now, I pray, Lord.